You're listening to Red Nation Online. Hey, Eastside Stand Up listener. As always, we appreciate you downloading the podcast and want to ask you a quick favor. If you haven't already, we'd love it if you checked out rednationonline.ca. Added us on Twitter at rednationonline. Give us the thumbs up on Facebook as well as iTunes. Any or all of those would be awesome. Thanks so much and enjoy another episode of Eastside Stand Up. Steve Perry and I'm Ian Clark and we are back from BMO Field and wait for it yes you guessed it a late tying goal as TFC dropped points in another 1-1 draw with the Philadelphia Union the result obviously is gutting but we have plenty to talk about other than the last second goal from Jack McInerney namely Jonathan Osorio and a truly outstanding performance from the rookie midfielder we talk about a very impressive first half from the Reds another game of questionable refereeing, and of course, the breakdown that should have been averted even down a man. All in the next 30 minutes on East Side Stand Up. Well, then let's, I mean... Dark days? <laughs> what do you say? Dark, dark days? Dark days. Dark days, yeah, the storm clouds over top of BMO Field. You know what, I'll kick it off how I always do, Steve, and then I can let you kind of, because I think you summarized it just before we started this here. You know, we're back from BMO Field, and it's, uh, do I dare I say same old, but not necessarily totally same old? I mean, we've no, got a five-game losing streak. We finally I don't got, think it's fair to characterize the game that way, because uh, it was... Uh, the result in the end, would, we had disappointment, but we did get a result. We got a point out of it with a tie in the additional minutes of the game. Philly scored, but a great game to watch. It was an exciting game, and then there's lots of uh, little bits of rain anyway. Um, so the metaphor of dark days uh, <laughs> upon us in some ways, yeah. but uh, maybe the cloud is lifting a little bit because we saw an exciting team. It was an exciting game to watch, and that's a team I would go back and watch. I was saying to you on the way uh, home, I, especially after like the Columbus game where I was feeling super defeated. I, when I went down there, I was thinking, uh, at Columbus game a couple of weeks back, that there was um, a metaphor for me. There was uh, all these, this uh, horse shit on the, on the road to the pitch, right? And I was thinking, I, I was lo- thinking, okay, is this, a, is this like, are we foreshadowing the event? <laughs> you know? <laughs> but and, I feel like that's happened before. Uh, but 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 we did actually and it was because it was like an awful game and I didn't want to ever come back to see this team play after the Columbus game and another thing I noticed uh, I wanted to do a sights and sound for the last game because the, uh, the Samba squad came out 
uh, at the beginning of the game, and it was super intense. It was great. The uh, Samba Squad. The Samba Squad. Do you know who they are? No. The Samba Squad are a, a group of people who like play samba music, and they have so they have like uh, lots of conga drums and whistles and uh, tambourines, and they march to a beat, and it's like a call, and so it's very Brazilian sounding, right? Like similar to how you would go see a Brazil game. So it provided great atmosphere outside of the pitch, and then those guys went into the pitch, and I think they took their drums away, and I was thinking. What a f- what a mistake! Because um, what a great atmosphere to play under. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, so I was thinking, just another goof thing for the MLSE to do was to just kind of deaden that spirit, right? right. Again, like uh, they just don't have any sense about them, right? Yeah. <laughs> when it comes to making a good team or a well, great atmosphere, if they can't attach a sponsorship to that, yeah, no, for sure, and have them come out wearing like an Eastside oh, Mario's jersey or something like that, they then... need to figure. It, they just are just dumb about it, right? Yeah. Because uh, if you make a great game, people will come out in droves. Yeah. It, it only to me, it's it's shooting themselves in the foot. But uh, let's get back to the game because it was uh, you know night and day between the last time we've seen this uh, team play on the pitch. Yeah. One thing I the first thing that struck me about the game was um, how much movement there was with the ball. I've never seen Toronto see pass the ball so much, uh, use it very well, make good distance with like their passes, uh, complete a lot of passes, not like the stat pass that we were talking about before. These were actual like good movement on the ball, shifting back and forth between pitches. It's a, a, a largely there's a lot of guys I didn't recognize on the pitch. I mean, there was still sort of a starting formation, but. Uh, there were some new players. I mean, Convy was in last game, but he was uh, he was like more at home this time. I think he's sort of starting to gel and create some chemistry with the other players. Uh, Osario had a great game. I, Outstanding. Yeah, it just I, remarkable. And you know, he did he deserved the man of the match uh, more so for his play and less so for the goal he got, which is usually how the man of the match is awarded, right? So yeah. I think he earned it in other ways and not just traditional ways. Yeah, and you know, one thing I wanted to say before we get into the game too is, you know, Steve, you're talking about uh, the Columbus game and then there's, but there's also the New England game in between and then coming into this game. And even though the scoreline in the Columbus game was 1-0, but it was at home and we go to New England, we lost 2-0. I think between Columbus and New England, there was, the team looked a bit better. Uh, it wasn't quite as dire and impotent as it was against Columbus. And then we've seen another slight progression into this game. I don't think we've ever been accused of getting overly optimistic in any sense, but if you want to take a three-game stretch and say, I think you can look at it and say there has been progression in those three results from a poor stretch before it as well. Certainly something's gotten into the spirit of these players. They're they're playing with a lot more grit, a lot more determination, and uh, they were hungry out there. It was uh, just... Um, it was notably different from the last time I'd seen them here. Well, one one thing I think, and we'll probably talk about more than once, though, is, of course, the insertion of Osario into the lineup. And we saw that last week against New England. At halftime, he came in for Reggie Lamb, and Toronto looked completely different. Like, they actually had some teeth moving forward. And now this game, Reggie Lamb doesn't even play, or sort of starts from the beginning, and we see this right from the start. And I think yeah. that's worth noting because... You know, Reggie Lamb's had a few, this year, a few games here and there, but he's had too many games where it's just been vacant. You know, maybe he'll have possession, he'll dribble around, but 
nothing happens. I, th- I still think he's a pretty good player. I mean, but not over Osario for sure. And I think him and Richter, uh, Osario and Richter worked really well today on the on the right wing. Uh, they were moving the ball up in the flank. I saw, you know, uh, Richter moving into attacking positions often and Osario giving him good balls. Um, they were playing back and forth. There was lots of uh, give and goes between the two of them and they worked with, well with each other. They didn't need other players. So this is uh, a new dimension to Toronto's uh, uh, play. And uh, it was exciting to see. Yeah, and, I, uh, and and like Richter got like he looked great today. Uh, aside from one like sort of collapse, I think he, you know generally he was. I was impressed by him. Yeah, and I think it's part of the chemistry as well that might have been formed with him and Osorio. And I think uh, you know, especially looking at Osorio's game, and you mentioned already the way that they were passing and what we've seen in terms of the stat pass of kind of just going the width of the field. But we were seeing three passes and they'd be in the attacking third yeah which is rare it's quick passing like what i noticed between this league and like like the premiership is that there's quick passing it's like the movement is so much faster paced and today i witnessed that fast pace in our game which is different that i've that i've ever seen like that you know that's the difference between i think the two leagues is that you don't see it the pace is it's just completely different, right? It's right. a slower pace usually in MLSE, but or in MLS. But today it was no, it was just it was tough to keep up. It was good. Yeah, yeah. And you know, we've already kind of mentioned some of the guys that came in, and there weren't too many surprises coming into this this game in terms of the roster. I mean, you we saw that once again. Darren O'Dee's put out at left back uh, with with uh, Daniel well, Henry. Well, I wasn't. I, that was a surprise to me. Yeah, uh, because uh, I, you know O'Dee's uh, lined up always in the middle. But I guess it's because Ashton Morgan was out, possibly, and Eckersley is still out. Yeah. And so Richter's on the right. Um, Stephen we Caldwell's in the middle. We were speculating that uh, they put Henry and Caldwell in the middle because, possibly, because... Well, I was saying, I said this last week, too, is that with OD on the left and Caldwell, and just, like it's he's got experience on both sides of him. So there's sort of like if... And we saw it through this game where it's, you know, Henry will make sort of young, rash challenges that there's two guys or one of those guys has the experience potentially to close the gap and be a little more stay at home, so yeah. to speak. I, I felt uh, Henry play with a lot more fire. And I, and I wouldn't say that he's never played with fire because I see him playing well and hard, like, you know, just getting in the game, right? Getting stuck in, uh, which is, you know, what cost him the two yellows partially, right? I mean, he was just over anxious, but uh, generally it was great to like uh, he played well and I, I was unfortunate that he got uh, his second yellow in it because yeah. even though when I was looking at it from the field I mean when we looked at it on the replays you know it was earned the uh, certainly the second yellow I don't remember what the first yellow was but I, I you were saying that you didn't think the first yellow well the first yellow was right? the one where the keeper was the was the tussle with the keeper and the oh, second okay. one was the challenge on Danny Cruz where he slid in and from where we were I mean we're at the far end we're in the northeast corner so it just looked like he went in for a tackle but from what we've heard and what I saw online and stuff like that it, it sounded like it was a clear foul he maybe maybe it was a high kick like maybe his foot was up high too sure. high, right so and you can embellish anything at that point which is something i would say was pretty despicable from the philadelphia side um i I noted that like the the 12th minute that three players had already gone down from philadelphia and like from barely being touched and i'm thinking this is a this is a big mistake from the referee to let this go get out of hand and he should have clipped it by 
using that simulation rule that he has, right? He should have. It, it was getting ridiculous. I mean, the, the like it was noticeable in the in the stands, so it must have been noticeable by the officials. Yeah, and you know what? Here's something frustrating from from a Toronto FC perspective and a Toronto FC supporter perspective on a referee who I would have thought, or you would hope maybe would have watched the previous game these two teams played against each other because that's exactly what happened. And we saw that second yellow card to Ashton Morgan completely on simulation. I mean, it was nothing you haven't seen. It was the exact same play that we saw Park against Brokey with the shunting of the forearm on the back of the head. That's a foul. Yeah. It's not a yellow. And, and, yeah. and in Philadelphia, that was Ashton Morgan's second yellow and ascending off. And you see, you know, Brokey goes down and gets up. But the guy from Philadelphia is lying on the ground for five minutes on something that was very innocuous. And that's something that's frustrating that the referee wouldn't have seen, okay, this is a team that I that the last time they met was going to ground almost after everything. Hey, my shoe's fallen off. I'm going to lie on the ground. And the game was getting out of hand. Like There, there was a point where uh, Richter gets hauled down to the ground and nothing happens. So uh, I think Laba comes in and takes... Uh, it's sort of like vigilante justice at that point. He clips the player, and all of a sudden he's getting the card. But you know, wh- where was the ref on the first call? Yeah, I mean, we wouldn't have been in a reactive mode if that hadn't happened. And then I was thinking, um, not even like two minutes later, there was a play uh, with the dreadlock dude who can went uh, in on Convy, and there was two another guy. I think it was I don't remember who it was, but it was just ridiculous. He never even made the call. Right. Right. And this leads into that uh, report that came out in the... I don't it was know was an article. Paper. I think MLS Soccer, I think, actually published it as well. Okay. Um, where you know, Kevin Payne came out and sort of said, I think we're getting the short end of the stick on, on inexperienced referees. It feels like every week... I feel like Toronto... I think he said Toronto FC is almost like a testing ground or a trial ground for the referees in the league. And as a result, we're getting some, some really shitty calls. Yeah. And I think... And what, so what did MLS... Uh, well, I think, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, the follow-up article from that comment was in MLS Soccer, and I think, I don't think they could debate it. I think they were like, you know, it's it's true. Like, you, it's there for everyone to see. I think it was five or six at that point, five out of ten games. I think the referees were, you know, seriously inexperienced in terms of, I guess, maybe only being around for one year or less in the league, where teams like L.A. and New York were getting the, the more experienced referees. So I don't want it to be like sour grapes here because I'm thinking, you know, but like honestly, today was like one of these things where, you know, we've also seen this before. So here's the thing that becomes consistent, crappy refereeing, but to the effect that it uh, poisoned our game or like, you know, and we went down a man for uh, two thirds of the game. Yeah. Uh, We uh, struggled and (laughs) at the end... We were battling with these guys, still trying to stay in the game, shorthanded. Yeah. That was kind of ridiculous. Yeah, that was, I think, the most, you know, if it's you want... It's really frustrating. Yeah, because the last time uh, when Ashton Morgan got his second, if I'm not mistaken, it was towards the end of the game. Uh, so there wasn't... Henry gets his red card at the 41st minute, or sorry, he gets his second yellow at the 41st minute and goes off, and there's still uh, over half a game left, 50 minutes or more. The other time it wasn't, so... You know, I'm, I when we were at halftime, I sort of hearkened back to, I think it was one or two years ago that Toronto went up against Montreal in the Voyagers Cup, went down, got, I think it was Eckersley got a straight red. And we came out and won that game, 2 yeah. nil. So there's something, I think there is something where the gears change and, and you really have to dig deep uh, in that situation. And I think Toronto knew up to that point, they were the better team. 
Well, I think for this whole game, we were the better team. Yeah, uh, and and I think you know, sure, this has uh, echoes from history, but I, I and but this is probably a different team. However, we still see them with fighting right from the. I mean, I I didn't see that much difference in play in terms of how they played because they were they played right from the beginning. It was exciting. Um, th- th- there was no sort of nervous Nellies of the five minutes of like you know getting into this game and sort of getting your head snapped kind yeah. of thing. It was like they were right in the game yeah. right from the get go, and when they went down, they still stayed in the game and they still seemed to own the game. Um, so I-, I don't know. It was just uh, yeah, it has this uh, thing with the Voyager Cup. But regardless, I think fuck. I w- <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> you know disappointing. What? But you know what? Here, let's throw this out there. I mean, you've been outspoken in, in past podcasts and years past of declaring that was the worst half of football I've ever seen in my life. Where does this sit? Well, I have to say, this is like one of the best uh, full games that I've ever seen by this team. Regardless, of, like- regardless of, the, of what happened in the last minutes of the game, I was proud of this team. Yeah. And I would have worn... I mean, I came down here wearing dark blue because I was thinking, I hate this team. I don't <laughs> want to even wear any colors. <laughs> no, honestly, I was so upset from that last Columbus game that I just wanted to sell my tickets. I wanted to disown this team. You know, in the last little while, I've been asked from people from outside of this uh, city about this team and just spewed poison on them about it because it's an awful... Like, it's just an awful feeling to have such a shitty team and I was like, man, I'm ready to eat crow. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that, I, the, that today's game was uh, maybe turning me back into a believer. Well, there's lots of, again, I mean, we're only halfway through this game and there's still lots of talking points to go through in the second half. Cause I mean, we I see, th- we, we saw there's another player we have to mention that I think you, yeah. you know, we've talked about him in the past. He's had, I want to talk about substitutions. Let's talk about substitutions yeah. because there's quite a few of them. I think one of the things, the first one was Ashton Morgan coming in. Yeah. Um, so Morgan comes in for, I guess, to fill the back line void. Uh, so we, uh, you know, soldier up our defense uh, to deal with the pressure, try and soak up pressure. And uh, in the dying minutes of the game, we see Morgan, like, at one point, get his uh, his uh, jersey pulled over his head, like, sort of like one of those traditional hockey fights. Yeah. And I'm thinking, what the hell's going on here? Yeah. And he doesn't, even, he doesn't even pay any attention to what's happened and just keeps going after the ball, which I thought, this is great. Like, this is, that's what you want. In a, and from a guy who's like a hometown player, this is what you want. Mm-hmm. So I was just super glad to see Morgan, like, you know, getting, you know, just getting into it. Yeah. Uh, the next player that comes in is Brokey. Now, I don't know about Brokey. You were telling me that he's from New Zealand, right? Yes. So this must be like... Uh, this is the third or fourth This game. must be our coach's player <laughs> yeah. kind of thing, right? Like, I think this is a hometown be. guy, right? Well, I mean, and also, they um, Ryan Nelson played for the New Zealand national team. I'm pretty sure Brokey has a few caps under his belt. So they're familiar with one another. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when, playing... When has in, this guy been in the lineup since? Well, he's subbed in here. and Like, he came in for a bit... Uh, I've never seen him play yet. That's why I'm asking. He might, maybe if he didn't get into the Columbus game, then I know I'm positive. At, di- at first, I was disappointed with him uh, because, like, he went down, uh, and then I started realizing because, you know, I, I seem to think of Kiwis as being, you know, a little bit made of sterner stuff, especially with like their rugby, tr- rugby tradition, right? When I played with rugby players playing football, uh, they are uh, well adapted for football. Um, but just tough as nails. So, you know, I was thinking, man, he's like a bit of a pussy to go down like that so quickly, right? 
But then I started realizing that he'd taken more. He started. He took quite a few shots to the back, and he was on. He wasn't on for very long. And in fact, the little bit that he was on, <laughs> we see the goal that yeah. gets produced. So it comes up from that, which is a tremendous goal. First of all, I want to say that Hall had great vision to put the ball down to him. I think we see a lot of versatility in Brookie because Brookie was playing the number one player, but then he becomes the number two player by the service that he gives to Osario. Uh, on the far post to finish, and I was thinking that ball traveled, you know, in this great diagonal—not a diagonal—in a great L shape. It went yeah. right down the pitch, straight into the corner, went across all the way past the goalkeeper, far post, and in. And I was thinking, whoa, this was <laughs> just great. And it happened so quickly. Yeah, like Philly had no time to react. That's exactly how you want to score goals. Yeah, and it's like that, that was a beautiful goal. And it was almost like not. Exactly, but again, I, I have a feeling we're going to talk about Osorio more than twice, three, four, five times through this podcast because the one thing that impressed me the most was, I don't want to say an all-round game, but I mean, he, he starts in the first half out pretty on the wing and dedicated playing on the wing, and then now all of a sudden he comes in as that like trailing attacker through the middle, and he's playing more central role and kind of tr- comes in and scores that goal like he did against the Galaxy when he kind of just snuck in through the middle when Silva hit him. But now he's coming from the other side, gets on the cross. And also we should mention, well, you touched on it there, but Brokey's curl, like the, the ball that he put in, the curl on it was just perfect. Picture perfect because yeah. it curled away from the keeper. Right. He had no hope of getting on it. And just the timing of that convergence was just spot on. And to kick it from away from the keeper, uh, it was an outside, it was an inside curl, which is very, it's a lot tougher to do than, sorry, it was an outside curl, mm-hmm. which is tougher to do than an inside curl from a right-footed player. Right, right. Right. So... Here we are, and I've I kind of touched on it more than once to the game in terms of felt a little bit like deja vu. We're up at one 0 and we're saying we got to get. Well, I turned to you and said, "Look, the game's over," because it was like we were three seconds away from the clock running out. <laughs> and you turned back to me and said, "It's not over until the whistle blows." Right? Oh, and Julie. So Julie, what were you doing? Why? What she? She made a comment saying we need to make we need to we need to say how the sun is coming out right at the ninetieth minute, and I just was like. <laughs> don't say anything but I don't believe in superstition and I'm not going to get freaked out by that stuff I just think that there it was again the goddamn collapse yeah. and, and as we look back at the play there was five Toronto FC players marking one guy and as I don't know who the goal scorer was what's his McInerney. name he takes steps back from the throw in that comes across and good instinct it was because he wound up giving himself space the ball he took, he, the kick he took was a low driving shot, but maybe not as powerful as like it was just great, greatly placed, right? Regardless, it went through a lot of traffic, and I was thinking, what the hell? How did this guy even stay get open when there's five guys there? There's so the most of the congestion was from our with from red jerseys, and why didn't one of them just follow them back, or why didn't one of them say, "I'm picking him up"? Where was the communication on the throw? It didn't take much to say, because we outnumbered them, you just pick them man-to-man. Yeah. And then follow the guy to the bathroom if you need, right? Because that's the advice that I've been given when I've been picking up man-to-man. You just follow him everywhere. Where was it? What, what happened? That was, so that was, like, disappointing. That was the... Um, that was the collapse in composure, right? Yeah, and that was we the We lost dag- the formation. And that was the dagger, I mean. I... 
Instead of, I mean, we've kind of calmed down now, but I mean, I thought it was, it just was like, this just making me it was sick. Dishear- it was, it was disheartening. It made me sick. Super, yes, that it did make me sick. I mean, you're not being overdramatic. It, 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 this has happened too many times. Yeah, and, you, and again, when we look back on it, you just like, Those are easy how points. did... The that, they weren't easy the, points. That was a hard point. Those were hard points, but they it became like, how could you give it up so easily at the end? Yeah, where it's the league leading score. You know he's going to be dangerous. Really, where's, like nobody, where's, nobody, where's the man? Nobody turned. Him. No one in that turned around when I said, "Where's McInerney? Where's number nine? He's yeah. wearing number nine. Yeah, <laughs> should be the easiest. That should be the most obvious indication of that's the guy. And we need you, to keep an eye you would have known him because you would have been. He would have been. Mar- he would have been with you the whole game. You should have known him because that's what he did to you last time you played Philadelphia from the same spot. That's yeah. Just, it's insane. Yeah. It's insane. You know, if we if we're just gonna uh, get into that, like it's just that's what really the I parallels think, are awful, god awful. Well, the good news is, after that goal, there was still five minutes to play, <laughs> and we at least we got off the field with the draw, because with the draw, if we're gonna go glass half full, I'm looking at my glass, looks about so, uh, we broke a losing streak. I mean, we we're on a five game losing streak, and. Uh, and now it's with a 1-1 draw against Philadelphia. At least that sort of gives us... You were saying there was a parallel to this from last year too, weren't you? Well, oh, well, there was. Because this exact fixture from last year was the game that we broke our losing streak as well. But we broke it with a win. Against uh, Philly. Yes, against Philadelphia at home. Literally, I think it was last weekend, which we were away on the road. But at this almost exact same point of the season... The goal is scored by our late uh, substitute, which the drama, I mean, it was, he couldn't have written it better. He couldn't have written it better than Danny DiCchio's uh, tying goal against New England at the end of 2007, where he came back and comes into the late sub and scores this incredible goal. It was close, but we still had a moment. We still had a moment to sort of appreciate one of our best, uh, or how do I say it? Goal, goal, scorers. Ra- goal, goal scorers and best goal scoring ratio players we've ever had. And then I think I was thinking of the parallel with uh, the return of Danny Covermans, which is something we haven't talked about yet. No, not really. So he was the last substitution. Uh, they took Brokey out and they put in Covermans. I think they wanted to give him a run just to, you know, he's because he's been injured for a long time and hasn't really seen any action since then, right? So That's I think this, action is, this, year. this is his return, right? Yeah. And he got a rousing you know set of applause he was like a great it was great to see him it kind of put a lump in my throat when you know they uh, when he started coming on like when we saw him at the halfway point and then everyone started cheering for him and standing up and giving him a standing ovation he did he wasn't as good as brokey i gotta say <laughs> well i, I mean I, yeah sure we can make all sorts of excuses for him you know he's like you know just back and stuff but um Anyway, regardless, it was a moment. I know that it was a moment. I think I shouldn't kill it because it was a moment. Yeah. And it was something that we should say, uh, you know, we felt good about. Yeah. And maybe I I was going to say something, but maybe I'll let it go because that's something. I mean, let's think about it, Steve. The the players that really stand out for us that were really, you know, meaningful Toronto FC players are very few. I mean, there's just probably Danny DiCchio is one for sure. I still think of Dwayne De Rosario's one I think he's that, the top, right? that really had mo- that really gave us moments. Yeah, and and then you throw in Danny Covermans, who who I who we know like loves this city and he loves playing for Toronto FC, and a guy that scored at a clip that you know almost made us forget about 
Wayne DiRosario and his goal scoring ability. I mean, we had a guy, and that's and that shows you almost how important it is. You know, you talk about building a team and what kind of designated players to sign. And I, you know, you hear a lot of people say you should get an attacking midfielder. You should get a guy that's sort of like the heart of the squad, and uh, or how you know a striker just leaves too much space behind him in terms of quality potentially. And this might be going back to when the designated player rule first started. You can only have one. Sure, that argument is fair, but. To get a high-level quality goal scorer, I think, makes all the difference. We've seen that with Montreal this year and Marco DeVaio and how well they've been playing with him. And we saw in 2011 at the end of the year, and of course last year when Coverman's got hot, all of a sudden we're winning. Mm-hmm. I mean, we went through that stretch of five or six games where we were now all of a sudden a very good team. And at the end of 2011 when he was scoring, we were all of a sudden we're a good team again. And it's just... It's, I don't think it's a coincidence. I think it is. You do need to have that guy, that quality finisher. And, of course, we've seen it through this stretch as well where Robert Earnshaw has gone cold and yeah. and the whole team has fallen apart. Right, right. Yeah. It helps sure. to have that one guy. And we've kind of touched on this before in the past of the makeup. But the league has changed quite a bit over the years that we've done the podcast. But I think you do really need, if you're going to be a, you know, a mid-table, top-table team, you need a guy who can put in somewhere around 15 goals a year. At least, I mean, that's definitely a player that's going to make you more competitive than right, the rest. Right, And there's hopes in some of our other players. So, but, you know, let's see. when We'll see with uh, Danny getting fitness, right? Yeah, and you know Tom what? Tell. At the, one more sight and sound that I wanted to mention that we, I know you wrote it down too. This is one of the few, the few teams or the few that come in in terms of uh, away support they kind of grind the gears because they kind of go the full game. Well, they're close enough to send people, right? So people come and there was a lot of people here, which uh to me is like, well, that's dedication for a ta- for to come against a team that's at the bottom of the table, right? Yeah. We well, hey, we, this game doesn't mean that much necessarily. I mean, it means a lot to us, but you know. But when you know what in MLS when you're traveling on the road, I mean, it's it's a serious disadvantage. There's not too many places <laughs> In MLS, where you can go on the road and say, hey, we can travel this game and there's a pretty good chance we're going to win. And unfortunately, that's the case in Toronto right now. But the one thing, they had a pretty pretty good burn off the top. Where What were they saying? Uh, they're here. They're there. They're fucking everywhere. Empty seats. <laughs> Empty seats. Yeah. Even though we had the announced, announced crowd of 19,000. Uh, and I wondered where those people were because I didn't see 19,000 anywhere. <laughs> yeah, it's a strange, like... I just know, like, we know from where we are when there's 20,000 people because I can't, I don't have a row to myself. And, yeah. and this, and this, this game, we could sit anywhere. We could sit anywhere we want. And, we, you know, I can, I can step down rows. I can go up rows. I can stretch over five seats at a time. That's when you know that this, this is not 19,000 people. And we've, you know, over the last few years, really the only games I can think of are maybe like a Seattle game or an LA Galaxy game where, I'm shoulder to shoulder with someone. And that's kind of what it's come to, unfortunately. Yeah. But I also, one of my things that I would, I also noted was that there was like a, a group of guys at the top who were cheering. And we've, we've heard this before, like people trying to sing and hurl back insults at the, the supporter sections when there is a supporter section. There hasn't really been, this is the first game that there's been an away supporter section, except for, I think, the impact game. Yeah. Uh, and the, the, our the home our home leg at the Voyager Cup, yep. so that was the only other time I'd seen away supporters. But there was you know plenty of opportunities for like because Columbus usually sends people. Mm-hmm. So what I gather from that is mostly that Toronto's not worth coming to cheer against, right? Because the game doesn't doesn't mean much. No, to take a right? long trip. Yeah. 
it's not worth it. So irregardless of all that, I was thinking not just that, but uh, we started seeing like um, in our section different people doing cheers again, which we haven't seen. That's disappeared because we haven't had a team to cheer for. No. And maybe, you know, I think it had something to do with the uh, the caliber of play. There was it was exciting. This is an exciting game, and it's something we're cheering for. Yeah. So maybe that's something that MLSC should note. Well, we should put it, you know, make get this team so that it's like worth cheering for. Yeah. And I gotta throw in. I mean, there was a time we we know in our section when it didn't matter what was going on. There was a good there was a good group of people who were willing to stand up and sing and cheer and shout down the the away support. And it's just. It's yeah, dissipated. M- M- it's gone yeah. to nothing. Yeah, for, and, and, but if a lot of it falls on MLSC. They didn't want it. I mean, That's they right. weren't having it. They were throwing them all out of the stadium. And, and it, it makes it depresses me in a game like today when Philadelphia comes and it's like, you know, good for you for sending people here and and shouting at us. But it's like it's been stripped out of us to to turn around and stand up and shout them back and, down. And, and in fact, uh, they've tried to they've tried to replace it with like pre-programmed um, things on the scoreboard. Like that come up, like, and it always is the same stuff. So it happens at the same time, like in the first couple of minutes of the game. There's this thing where they show like the all the exciting ga- uh, plays, clubs, and, yeah. and then there's this like cheer that comes up on the sound system, and it's just ridiculous, right? And it, it's just like this is what it's been replaced with. This is what they wanted. They want to have their own PR. It's like their own, you know. That's exactly you want to be able to manage the uh, the spirit of sorts, right? Yeah, it, 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 which is ridiculous to me. Uh, and it bothers me every time I hear it. It just burns me. But, you know, to see organic spirit again in the stands because the team is worth cheering for is a great feeling. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of Major League, the movie, when there's like the five or six guys that are just all alone in the outfield cheering on the Cleveland Indians as the worst team in baseball's history. Feels a little bit. Sometimes it's come to that. It always feels like that. That we're the only ones left. Today, and those guys are louder than us. But, but I mean, that's but just, today it felt good. It did. And I one last time I'm going to give. Uh, you know, we we usually used to do, we used to do a man of the match on almost every podcast. But sometimes the results have been so dire that it's just what's the point? And this time the Budweiser man of the match, mm-hmm. you know, was rightfully deserved. Jonathan Osorio. I can't I can't say enough really about this game. I have all like I don't have tons of notes, but every note where it was like there's a good chance in the first half, it says from Osorio, from Osorio, from Osorio. Like Osorio was intricate and everything moving forward. And the thing I liked about him most was he played right on the line. And then he did stretch the pitch wide, but he would also play inside. Yes. He would play give and goes. He would give the ball. He would chase the ball. He did everything that you want from a midfielder and then something more that you want from a striking, a striker. Yeah. He was. And uh, even the plays where it was like he turned the ball, where you almost groaned from a turnover, he went and won the ball back. Yeah. Or he went and like got stuck in to battle for the ball and, and caused a turnover. It just was like. He put this, this was probably in. like for he's only been on the team for this year and he's only had a few chances but i mean this was like i mean it seals it for me i hope he can follow it up and keep pushing like this i think he's riding some great confidence he played for canada just came in got his first call up midweek and he's, he's been showing again like i mentioned the last game against new england he came at the half and things look completely different if he can keep building on this, like that will be, I think that will be a huge component of the team the other turning th- around. I want. I'll say there was flexibility. Something we we missed on it, but but I was trying to point out to you is that him and Convey were uh, switching sides. Yeah, and they did it a couple of times, and I was thinking that's versatility too. 
That's mm. like, and that throws a wrench in Philadelphia's gameplay because they don't know who they're playing against, right? Yeah, it's I, I thought exceptional. Yeah, it was a good, you know, and that's the thing. Like, I know people are going to be super gutted, rightfully so, about the way this this game get, went down. But there is hope. I think there, like, this is one of the few times where you can legitimately say, you know, if as long as these guys don't hang their head, as long as they stay on the men, the right mental track, the results going to come. I mean, their next game is against DC. They're fucking terrible. They're the worst team in the league, bar none. I mean, this is our chance to get, hey, get a road win. Uh, and there's games that are coming up where it's like, you know, maybe we can pull this off. If we play this kind of game, we can make it really uncomfortable for teams like Rail, Salt Lake, and Montreal to come in here. We know we can do it. We've done it before. Yeah. So if, you know, Coverman And it's gets a different fit, lineup that, you know, Montreal hasn't seen yet. So we'd also get them by surprise, I think. Yeah. Right? Because we are familiar with each other. We've played a lot against each other already this season. But this not with, they this line, not, but like, not with our lineup, right? Yeah. Well, not with this lineup. Yeah. I think that pretty much sums it up, Steve. The next game, there's no game next weekend. We're looking on... Take the week off. Take the week off. We're looking on June 15th, away to D.C. The next weekend, away to Houston. Uh, it's going to be a bit of a tough st- stretch. But if they play like this, yeah. you know, they stand a chance, I For think, sure. in some of these games. So hopefully, Tronoff can keep building on this. And uh, Ryan Nelson keeps his team mentally strong because... It's good to see. Uh, there's a lot of summer left to, yeah. to go. So signing off. And, and there's a Gold Cup, right? That's why there's a The Gold Cup's coming up at the beginning of July. So, so as funny, oddly enough, there really is no break in the schedule for the Gold Cup. Oh, Just the okay. start of it. The first weekend of July, there's no game. So that's when the, the tournament kicks off. But That's the last time I use you as a source. <laughs> Kidding. I've got my, I got my handy, ca- my handy magnet calendar here. Yeah. Uh, so signing off, we got Steve Perry on. You're on the north side. <laughs> yeah, I guess I am. I'm on Sparky the, on the south. I'm on the south side with all the hardcore supporters. And uh, you can catch me on at Clark RNO on Twitter. Email us at Have Your Say Red Nation Online. Give us the thumbs up on iTunes and on Facebook, all that good stuff. And we'll catch you guys next time. Thanks for listening. Eastside Stand Up is the only Toronto C specific podcast breaking down the game right after it happens. We want you to be involved. Reach out to us on Twitter through hashtag ESSU or at Red Nation Online. You can email us at Have Your Say at Red Nation Online or info at Red Nation Online. Get into the discussion on Toronto FC through Eastside Stand Up and Red Nation Online. They'll understand you, they'll understand you, for you are here.